Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Tyler Cowan. He's professor of economics at George Mason University. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Tyler Cowan, professor of economics at George Mason University uh, and a prolific blogger. You're one of my favorites, Tyler. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hello from Fairfax, Virginia. <laughs> my, uh, my favorite small town in Virginia, I guess. I lived there for a little while. Um, so I'm a fan of your, your writing, and you're an economist um, by profession, I guess you could say, in training, but you also have uh, some interesting ways of thinking about uh, the economy and the future and just where things are going. So why don't you describe some of the work that you've been doing uh, in some of your books, and then we can maybe uh, head off from there. Well, I've been working on what determines economic growth, what makes economies more or less productive, what is shaping the income inequality we observe. I like to try to figure out where the future is headed, bringing together insights from a lot of the different social sciences, but also the arts and fiction. Mm -hmm. so, so where are things headed? Where's, where's income equality going? Because uh, that's well, one of the things I've never talked about, actually. Overall, I, I'm more optimistic now than I was a few years ago, even though I do not like our current political leadership. I think income inequality will continue to increase because you have one group of people who can sell to global markets and they will earn much more. But I don't think that's always the relevant question. If you look at inequality of happiness, I'm not sure that's gone up very much at all. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot more free entertainments or very low cost entertainments today compared to, say, 20 years ago. So I think we're asking the wrong questions. When you look at happiness space, the picture looks a lot better. So that's interesting. So I guess there's there's a uh, I guess there's a joke online or whatever that people say uh, income equality is 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 gone because everybody has a big TV, right? So is that is that partially related to this, or is that uh, is that the idea of entertainments versus uh, versus income? That's an interesting uh, take on the thing. Well, not everyone has a big TV, but I would say the real problems are being able to afford a decent school district for your children. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether or not you have uh, good health care. And those are harder to come by. But I think the fixes are not about income inequality per se. We have some broken institutions in, in health and education. Uh, we can fix those. I think actually they're, they're getting slightly better. American schools are getting a bit better. We could experiment more with charters. The internet is the world's greatest learning mechanism. Uh, it needs to reach more people and in a more appealing or entertaining way. Uh, but if I think, say, I go back to the 1980s, what I expected for the world today compared to what we have, what we have is so, so, so much better. Mm -hmm. Is that a uh, is that a failure of our imagination? Are we going to be sit Are we sitting here in in the same darkness as we were in 1980, or do we have a better picture of what uh, 2030 looks like? Well, in 1980, we had very little understanding of how many parts of the world would reform. 
And maybe they wouldn't become free in the way we want them to be free, but they would become much freer and certainly much wealthier. And that trend has really swamped the world with its influence. In some ways, it's made things harder for us. It's put some downward pressure on our middle class wages. These huge markets overseas, they've been part of what's been driving higher income inequality. Uh, but you look at how much you know infant mortality has fell. Uh -huh. Portugal in the year 1950 had higher infant mortality than any country in the world today. That's astonishing. Uh -huh. So overall, it's been a pretty good deal. You know, way better than we had expected. What were we expecting? I'm I'm uh, I was born in '75, and and you were and you were doing some work back then. What were we expecting? Can you maybe uh, shed some light on that? I was born in 1962. Sure. Very few people, say, in the 1970s or until the very end of the 80s, really thought that communism would go away. Very few people thought that China right now would be, by one measure, the world's single largest economy, or that India would grow 6 to 8% a year, or that health indicators, infant mortality, deaths from diarrhea, deaths from malaria, that we would see so much progress. So we were clueless on that front. You had people like Paul Ehrlich writing books, The Population Bomb, uh -huh. well, the world is going to run out of food, uh, natural resources will all be exhausted, how will we handle this? You might say, you know, carbon, CO2 problems probably are worse than we thought. Uh, America itself has had a tougher ride due to global rivalry, maybe, than we had thought. So we sort of beat communism, but that didn't end our problems. But just human welfare overall, uh, again, going back to the global level, it's been astonishing. I, I love I love that outlook. What? How can how can we today um, avoid the mistakes that we made in the '80s? And I don't know. I know that's almost impossible. How do we have to think about the future and ec economics to uh, to try to even just grasp some of the threads of what's going to happen in the next twenty, thirty years? Well, we will not avoid those mistakes. Uh -huh. We may create our own versions of them. It's very instructive to read the work of Philip Tetlock. He's a social scientist who studies the predictions of others. And one thing we learn from his work, not a huge <laughs> surprise, is just how often the predictions of the smartest people are wrong. But it's great that now we have a way to track this, to measure this, to have some notion of accountability. It's not that all of a sudden I think we're going to start getting all those predictions right. But we have a sense of what we don't know, what we don't get right. You know, the best predictor in the world actually is asset prices, the values of currencies and stock markets and bonds. Uh, that's a kind of aggregated information of what people think who have real money on the line and who are working really hard to figure out what will happen next. Mm -hmm. And again, most of the world, you look at values for equities or bonds or real interest rates are pretty low. They're, they're giving us some pretty positive signals, actually. Okay, fascinating. So you're one of the other things that you've been looking at uh, a lot, and perhaps it's because you live out in outside of DC, uh, the rise of the suburbs. And I've been uh, I've been positing that the that the I guess the urbanization of outlying areas is going to be more popular than the growth of the suburbs. But are are you looking at are you looking at that from a different point of view? Well, the exurbs are becoming the suburbs. Uh -huh. So if you talk about Virginia, Loudoun County, which is out by Dulles Airport, it's yep. further away from D.C. than Fairfax County. That's now the suburbs. Can you get a great Indian dosa there? Absolutely. <laughs> it's probably better than Fairfax. So to some extent, those terms will break down. The suburbs are becoming more crowded. They have more poverty. They're in some ways more like the cities. 
Our cities are gentrifying. They have more chain stores. In some ways, they're more like the suburbs. Internet is everywhere. You know, if you're texting your friends and spending your time on Facebook, you can do that city and the suburbs exactly the same way. So I think we're seeing this blurring of categories, but the old American love affair with the suburb hasn't vanished. Mm -hmm. The future is not everyone being a hipster in Brooklyn, if I dare say this to you who lives there. <laughs> Brooklyn will thrive. It's a wonderful place. I'm as, I'm as, as far a from a hipster city. as possible, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't it be America's fourth largest? So... Uh, and it's and 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 one one thing I always say whenever I tell people about Brooklyn, it's basically small town America. I may my kids can walk around the corner to go to the movie theater and the comic book shop. We can walk to school. We can do everything that you. Are, it's virtually impossible to do in the suburbs, which is fascinating to me. It's like a it's a real swap now. That's right. Uh, the big problem with the suburbs is lack of walking opportunities. But mm -hmm. I think we're also trying to address that. Are, so what's what's your take on uh, on all the self-driving car uh, stuff that's coming up? Are you seeing that as going to have an economic effect on on something like a uh, a city? Uh, absolutely, I think self-driving cars will take a little longer than many people are saying. The problem is likely not the technology, but our laws and regulations, and people being emotionally ready for them. So right now. A lot of places are allowing in self-driving cars, but someone still has to sit at the wheel and supposedly pay attention. Sure, sure. It takes away so much of the benefit. We need <laughs> to get past that. Again, we're not quite ready to go full-blown uh, tomorrow, but that will be the next breakthrough innovation. And uh, most of the 40,000 people who die on the roads each year today don't need to die it will make commutes better. It will create a massive congestion problem. We will need congestion pricing for many more roads. Mm -hmm. I hope we do that. Uh, it'll be a big deal in less than 20 years, but not next year. Is there anything else that you've, you're seeing uh, from your point of view that, that could be uh, more disruptive than, than we're expecting? Well, disruptive is a tricky word. Sure. In my view, the big thing happening now is almost a little boring rather than disruptive, but I think it's boosting American productivity quite a bit. And that is the primacy of the big internet companies, Amazon and Facebook and Apple and Google, which have now been around for a while, that both our personal lives and our businesses, we're really organizing around those companies in much more effective ways. And uh, Amazon you know, may enter into healthcare or drone delivery. They're going from being just tech companies to those companies or ideas from those companies, sort of transforming a pretty big chunk of the American economy uh, through logistics and better management, better transmission of information. That, I think, is the big story right now. It's not like a single thing, like, here's my flying car. Nonetheless, we're growing at 3% right now. It's hard to argue with that. Is there a historical analog to, uh, to this period, or is this something unique in history? I think this is a unique period in history. We've been coming off a productivity drought that has taken up much of the last 40 years. Productivity okay. went down. The rates of growth of productivity went down quite a bit in 1973, and only for short periods did they bounce back. So we've been starving for innovation. We've had the internet. It sort of feels like a lot is happening in terms of real wages and actually people's lives getting better. A lot of it actually hasn't come yet, but I think now it's finally starting to arrive. That's excellent because that's the uh, that's that was the the age old complaint. That's sort of the uh, that's sort of the Bernie Sanders sort of complaint where the wages have stagnated, productivity stagnated, and we're 
and we're standing still. And I think that's that that was an argument that that's been made over the past few years. That yes, nothing has really changed. Uh, somebody somebody growing up in 1900 would see all sorts of exciting stuff happening, whereas all we're seeing is a better a better Facebook every couple every couple months. I agree with that argument, but I suspect that now we're finally at the point where it's turning and we're integrating digital innovation and real world innovation and actual production of goods and services. We still have these huge problems that our healthcare and education systems are somewhat dysfunctional, especially for poorer people. And the cost of buying a home in a good area, Brooklyn, San Francisco, Manhattan, it's far too high. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure we'll fix that. But what you'll see is the slow growth of other urban and suburban centers. You know, maybe uh, Knoxville or Chattanooga will not quite be the next Atlanta, but they'll take uh, in people who can't afford to live in the Bay Area. And you'll get these mini clusters of more innovation. I never, I never ask this, but I think you're, I think you're such a wide-ranging uh, reader and, uh, and, and curator here. What should people be doing to help them understand what's happening now? What should they be reading? What should they be looking at? Uh, are there any books that you particularly enjoyed over the past couple of years? Well, it's hard not to give a self-centered answer. My own <laughs> podcast series, Conversations with Tyler, I would recommend my own blogging. Get over it. Yeah, March, March Revolutions is my favorite. It's a oh, revolution. It's, it's, it's like I just pop it up and it's like it's like boing boing plus uh, – somebody smarter than the boing boing guys it's really good i like it so by definition if there's something i'm interested in i put it there mm -hmm. so uh, i can't not recommend that but i don't mean to sound so immodest no 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 it's perfect so 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 aside from marginal revolution what else should people be looking at i think investing the time to have a really good twitter feed is worth really a few full solid days of your time mm -hmm. and then fine tuning it and updating it uh, that better than any single book or any single blog. And that, you know, what exactly should be in that varies with the person. I don't think like any one person is that good on Twitter. What works is Twitter is a kind of social intelligence aggregation mechanism. Hmm. You're, you're on a you different... You like put your hands on the knobs and you sort of feel <laughs> the discourse and you, you draw inferences from that. It's a skill worth cultivating. Wow. Okay. So I, when I look at Twitter, I look at a, I look like a, a fire hose of, uh, of, of, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, not so nice stuff. So it's kind of a, I'm, 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 a, I'm down on the social media stuff most recently, I think, but I think, uh, well, stop following those people. I mean, there are people who tweet as they wish to be tweeted at, mm -hmm. they may be a minority, but there are thousands of them. And some of them tweet about what you care about and then pick some new areas. Uh, so I've been following some people on Twitter who cover relations between China and India. It's mm -hmm. a big topic. Wow. Hugely important. I don't know that much about it. I'm starting to learn. Twitter's a great way to stay current on that. Any book you would read on it is going to be out of date. Interesting. Fascinating. Uh, you, should do a, you should do a workshop. You just sit there and uh, show people how to, uh, to fine-tune their Twitter feeds, because I think mine is, uh, mine is a mess right now. So I think Twitter is underrated. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, what is the, this is the question I always like to ask, and then I want to ask another question after it, but what does the world look like in 30 years? I know this is, I know we just discussed this, that it's almost impossible to tell, but what do you think it's going to look like? Asia will be really quite wealthy for the most part, and it will be a much more dominant cultural influence, and it will obviously Northeast Asia be the economic center of the world. Mm -hmm. I think Europe will hold up just fine, actually. They will manage their refugee and migration problems. 
I worry that the Middle East will get much worse. More of it could go up in flames. I, I suppose I'm pessimistic there. For Africa, I'm a mild optimist, but not a wild-eyed optimist. And I think Latin America will grow 2 to 4% a year and tackle some of its worst poverty problems. Canada and Australia will stay great. So there's some trouble spots. North Korea, I don't have a forecast. Obviously, it's a big problem. I don't think they're going to bring the world to an end, but still, it needs to be thought about. So that's a mostly optimistic forecast. There's a there's one there's one country I didn't notice in there. Uh, what did what do you think about the U.S.? I don't know. You know, I'm so close <laughs> to the U.S. Okay. I think in a way, for a long time, we've been a nation, a sectarian nation of nuts, with enthusiasms mm -hmm. and sects, sometimes religious, sometimes non-religious ideas fill in for that. And the 80s and 90s were so calm and peaceful and nice in many ways. We lost track of what this country is really like, and we're going back to what most of American history has been, and that's a shock, especially to people maybe who were born in the year you were. Mm -hmm. uh, so it will be very volatile, and it won't feel much like the America of the 90s, I think. But we'll go back to being more creative and dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be okay, but many people uh, will talk about it like it's the end of the world. We'll have some, you know, stupid and nutty leaders also, like we did in the mid to late 19th century. That was common for mm -hmm. Andrew Jackson. So the, so the final question, you're, you're almost, when I, when I read your, when I read your work, it's, there's an optimistic bent to it. How do, how could the average person, somebody who might be listening to this, somebody who's fairly well educated, who's, who's thinking ahead, how can they not fall into despair? as as things move forward what's what's the what's the economist's answer to not falling into despair i don't know maybe despair is underrated i feel if someone is on the verge of despair and you tell them to cheer up they fall into more despair because part of their despair is despair <laughs> at not being able to be optimistic of course if you tell people despair is better than you think like your despair is fine just you know deal with it work through uh, it maybe that's better than pushing optimism it may be counterproductive all right, so then, so you basically fight harder when you're in the when you're in the depths. Uh, many people do, and trying to cheer them up is, in a way, pushing inadequacies in their face, since they already can't feel cheery and feel bad about that. So I don't like to push optimism per se. Maybe I'm generally optimistic by temperament, uh, but I'm just trying to push people to see more sides of a problem. And if they're optimists, I actually try to make them more pessimistic. <laughs> It's <laughs> one way to do it. This is so. Uh, I need to go to work on you. Is uh, what you're telling well, me. Well, you know what? I I sit here. I want to talk to smart people about why the future is not going to suck. I have three kids, uh, young kids, and I don't want them to go. I want the I want the things to. I want the world to be more like, uh, uh, I don't know, ca cafes and croissants as opposed to Blade Runner. So how do we work ourselves towards that, or how do we can can we can we expect that, or we can't expect that, right? Well, on average, your kids are like you. Uh, mm -hmm. That makes me pretty optimistic. <laughs> and you have three of them, right? There's yeah. one of you, three of them. Yes, exactly. So, what, I'm, could uh... you ask, what could you ask for? <laughs> Wonderful. This is uh... I'm rooting for number four. <laughs> I, oh, I keep keep rooting. It's going to be a little tough. Uh, where can folks find out about uh, your books? And uh, where we'll send them into Marginal Revolution. That's not a problem at all. But what what are some of the books that you've been working on? Last book is the Complacent Class. Mm -hmm. Before that is Average is Over. My name, Tyler Cowan, in Amazon, and my podcast, Conversations with Tyler, Marginal Revolution, me on Twitter. Me, me, me. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you very much, Tyler. This has been my this pleasure. Is, this has been amazing. Thank you. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. 
Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus.